we believe you are God and in control. Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Bram, a ministry of Worship Generation Church located in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. Let the nations be glad, all his saints rejoice. And let the people sing praises. And so we pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 20 of Luke, where we read this. Now it happened on one of those days, as he, Jesus, taught the people in the temple and preached the gospel that the chief priests and scribes together with the elders confronted him and spoke to him saying, tell us by what authority are you doing these things or who is he who gave you this authority? But he answered and said to them, I also ask you one thing and answer me. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or from men? And they reasoned among themselves saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why then didn't you believe him? But if we say from men, all the people will stone us for they are persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it was from. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Let's pause there for a moment. So you just, throughout the Bible, we read that the, that the Lord catches the wise in their own craftiness. And people try to think they're smarter than God or outsmart God. And of course, it's ludicrous to think such a thing because all things are made by him and for him and are held together in him. This background here, we know that John the Baptist was the greatest of all prophets that Jesus said. He's a prophesied prophet. In other words, the Old Testament prophesied he was the messenger and he's that messenger. And he told the Jewish people for Jesus is the king of the Jews and he comes to them first as the fulfiller of the scriptures that they were entrusted with. And he told the people, this is the Messiah, this is the Christ. And so if the religious leaders had said, well, John's from God, then it'd be like, why didn't they believe? Why didn't they receive the testimony of John that Jesus is the son of God, he's the lamb of God? Or, but of course, the people did respond to John, even though the religious leaders did not. In fact, John called them a brood of vipers, the religious leaders. And so they knew because they feared men and they sought the praises of men and to please men, they're like, well, we can't say that because the people will count him a prophet. So Jesus, of course, just, he outsmarted them with a question. They ask a question, by what authority? And in a sense, he really answered it because John said that he is the Messiah. So that's the authority from heaven. But he just boxed them in with their own folly and unbelief. And it gives, sets the table now for this passage of this parable that describes this generation, the generation of Jesus there in Israel. Verse 9, then he began to tell the people this parable. A certain man planted a vineyard, leased leased it to vine dressers, and went into a far country for a long time. Now at vintage time, he sent a servant to the vine dressers that they might give him some of the fruit of the vineyard, but the vine dressers beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent another servant, and they beat him, also treated him shamefully, and sent him away empty-handed. And again, he sent a third, and they wounded him also and cast him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Probably they will respect him when they see him. But when the vine dressers saw him, they reasoned among themselves, saying, this is the heir. 
Come, let us kill him that the inheritance may be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, what will the owner of the vineyard do to them? And he will come and destroy those vine dressers and give the vineyard to others. And when they heard it, they said, certainly not. And then he looked at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Whoever falls on that stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. And the chief priests and scribes that very hour sought to lay hands on him, but they feared the people, for they knew he had spoken this parable against them. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be righteous, that they might seize on his words in order to deliver him to the power and the authority of the governor, or literally Rome, Caesar. Now, as we look at this parable, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, and Jesus taught this parable. This parable is also recorded for us in the Gospel of Matthew and Mark. Gives us a little bit of interesting historical background to it in that in Matthew's account, the religious leaders, some of them actually give the answer that the, the owner of the vineyard will deal with these people properly. So within the religious community, as Jesus addressed this, some are like, well, of course, he'll set it straight. And some's like, no, far be it. So he actually, if you harmonize Matthew's gospel with Luke's gospel, Jesus actually, in teaching this parable, divided the people that were against him. He, there were differing opinions. But in the end, the lesson of the parable is clear because in the Old Testament, Israel is considered God's vineyard. And so the Jewish leaders, the Jewish people, they would all understand the allegorical context of what he's teaching in this parable and it's clearly speaking of Christ's coming in the old testament god sent the prophets the religious leaders and the political leaders rejected them and often abused them and killed them hebrews 11 tells us about that in the back part of hebrews 11 how they treated some of the prophets uh, sawing them in half even in which hist- historically the extra biblical record tells us that's what happened to isaiah the prophet and we know that the prophets were abused so the messengers for God to his people were rejected by the people. And even in the book of Acts, when Stephen gives his great message there in Acts chapter 7, they, he calls them stiff-necked because they do the same as their fathers. Only their fathers killed the prophets, but they killed the Holy One who the prophets spoke of. So this is the context. We want to get the context of this parable right so we fully get it. So in the end, Jesus, it's understood by the people there that this parable was spoken concerning them. I love it when the Bible interprets the Bible. Within the Bible, here in the text, also in Matthew and Mark, we, we are given the interpretation of the parable. We don't have to wonder about it. We're given the interpretation of it that this is Jesus talking about the religious leaders. They're the bad guys in this parable, and he's the son whom they reject and cast out. But the moral of the story is that the owner of the vineyard will deal with it. In fact, we're told in Mark, he'll give it to another to the church, the kingdom age of the church. So with that background, as we think about and focus on verse 17, Jesus quotes Psalm 118, where he said, what then is this that is written? And he quotes Psalm 118. And again, because this is in Matthew and Mark's gospel, we know it's a very important record for us in the Gospels, and of course, Psalm 118 gives us his text. It is speaking prophetically of Jesus Christ as the stone which the builders rejected, that'd be the religious leaders, but in spite of the rejection, that stone has become the chief cornerstone, 
And the chief cornerstone is the stone by which in masonry work uh, of houses by all the whole houses put together. The cornerstone sets the plumb line, if you will, for the proper building of the entire uh, facility or building that you're building. You need the chief cornerstone. It sets everything correct. So the religious leaders rejected Jesus, who became the chief cornerstone through his coming to earth, his death, burial, and resurrection. And he is the center of the universe, so it's a very appropriate uh, title for Jesus. And we talked about the titles for Jesus last week, right? His name is Jesus, means Savior, which is the most important title Jesus has. But tonight, he's the cornerstone, okay? The chief cornerstone. And then we're told that whoever falls on that stone will be broken, but whomever it falls on will grind into power. So powder. So there's only two choices with Jesus and the chief cornerstone. Either, you know, either we bow the knee to Jesus in time, space, and matter, and we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, and we receive that eternal life, that gift of eternal life through faith in him, as many as received him, he gave them the right to become the children of God. So we, by our own will, receive Christ. And we're, you know, there's humility in receiving Christ. There's humility because there's repentance for our sins. And all throughout the Gospels, we see like the woman caught in adultery or the woman at the well or you know, the centurion begging for his son and all these various things. We, we see humility. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So the stone is, of course, Jesus, and when we come to Christ in brokenness for our sins, he accepts us, we're, we're born again, we pass from death to life, for in Adam all sin and die, but in Christ all are made alive, and we pass from condemnation to justification, we literally pass from children of wrath, the Bible tells us, to the children of God. And as Romans 8 tells us, we become joint heirs with Christ. And as 1 John and Colossians tell us, it's not yet revealed what we'll become, but we know when he comes in his glory, we will be in his glory. We get the ultimate inheritance. We're adopted into his family, and we call God the Father, Abba Father, as in dad, that personal title. That's what happens when we fall on the stone, when we come in humility. But those who refuse to humble themselves like his religious leaders, they are broken by the stone, and it grinds them. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Now, a few decades later, when Peter, the apostle, after you know the first 13 chapters of the book of Acts, chapter 14, 15, uh, the Jerusalem Council, if you know your church history there, but a couple decades later, before Peter would, would die for his faith and all that, around 65 AD or whatever, Peter wrote 1 Peter. And he had something to say that's really important and insightful for us as the church to think about because he gives us an interpretation of this in 1 Peter chapter 2. So let me read this to you. In 1 Peter chapter 2, as Peter's sharing with the church and uh, those with Jewish background in the church, actually the 12 tribes and so on and so forth, uh, to the dispersed, uh, the pilgrims, he says this. Now, in chapter 2, verse 4, talking about Jesus, he says, coming to him as to a living stone. Rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, which we just read in the Luke text. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, and now he's quoting Isaiah the prophet from the Old Testament. Behold, I lay in Zion, which is in Jerusalem, a chief cornerstone elect, precious, and he, and we can say she, who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. 
Therefore, based upon the prophecy of Isaiah, 800 years before Christ came about, therefore, to you who believe, he is precious, like us gathered here tonight at Worship Generation. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And so here's that same verse quoted by Jesus a couple decades before, now quoted through Peter the Apostle and the Holy Spirit in its application to the church, which it is to us this night. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They, that is the builders who reject him, they stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you, referring to the church, are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So that passage from 1 Peter is super helpful for us to, to get a full application. We could get the application without that passage, but it gives it a little more depth and understanding. So if we look at Peter's passage in the Holy Spirit and Scripture interpreting Scripture, they, those who reject Christ universally and faith in Christ, not just the religious leaders now, they, the non-believing world, the world religions that reject Christ. They trip over Christ, who's the chief cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. But to us who have received Christ, he is the chief cornerstone. And because we've accepted Christ into our life, he is now the chief cornerstone of our life. And our life is no longer our own, but it's his. So we can use the physical understanding of a cornerstone building a house that when we come to Christ, all things have passed away, all things are new. And the passage that preceded what we just read in 1 Peter is about as newborn babes in Christ desiring the pure milk of the word. So because we've received the chief cornerstone, Jesus... We are now his special people, and we proclaim his praises of him who's called us out of darkness to light. And we're the church. We're a chosen people, a royal priesthood. We serve the Lord. So the Holy Spirit takes Old Testament imagery of the priesthood and whatnot and unveils it in the New Testament in 1 Peter, connected to this passage from Luke 20, and shows us that we are a priesthood. And this is one of the passages where we get the priesthood of all believers. But it is linked to this passage from Psalm 118, quoted by Jesus here in Luke 20, and again, a couple decades later, by Peter in 1 Peter. We are the people of God, and we know that when we give our life to Christ, we are born again. We are born in Adam in the flesh, as Jesus told Nicodemus, but we must be born again in the second birth. And when we pass from death to life with that second birth, using the analogy that Jesus gave as a cornerstone, he is the chief, we go from tripping over the cornerstone in unbelief to he becomes the chief cornerstone of our life. And with that in mind, I come back to this passage. That others reject Jesus Christ is, should not surprise us. That we have chosen to receive Christ is the best thing that could ever happen in our life and it is the purpose of our life. Or as Billy Graham said for decades upon decades, there's only two purposes in life. One, to give your life to Christ. And the second one, once you do, is to serve Jesus Christ with your life.
It's the whole purpose of our existence. So with that in mind, at the end of the year, as we think about Jesus being the chief cornerstone and having been quite reflective of my own life, because certainly over the last month or two, I was praying about if I was going to continue on in the surf coaching capacities that were very elite and prestigious, but time-consuming and um, had their own set of challenges, which all things in life do in the human experience. I've been thinking for a couple of months about what does 2019 look like? What does 2020 look like? Can I do this? Can I be a surf coach from now till 2020 Tokyo? Can, do I have it, is it in me to reverse engineer this backwards a year and a half? Is it in me to be in Peru in 2019 in Lima in August for the Pan Am Games? Am I, is that in me? You know, like, is, is, it, is it my calling? So as, you, as we are evaluating the end of the year and thinking about how we've come through this year and the blessings and the protection and the grace that God has shown us, the mistakes we've made, the mercy he's applied to us and all these things, the good, the bad, and the ugly, or as I said earlier, this year, like all years, but a little more so for me personally, has had testings, it's had trials, it's had tribulations, it's had tragedy. But like all years in Jesus Christ, it has had triumph as well. And that last T comes through Jesus Christ. For we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. And all things work together for good to those who love Jesus Christ and are called according to his purposes. Yes, this year has had testings. It has had trials. It has had tribulations. It has had tragedy. But there is triumph in Christ Jesus. And we are a triumphant people tonight because of our faith in Jesus Christ. And all that we've experienced this year, it is almost behind us. And a new year is in front of us. And God gave the seasons. If you recall after the flood, when Noah and his descendants, his sons came off the ark and their wives, God appointed the seasons. And he gave us seasons so we could mark time in our journey. And he used seasons even to guide the nation of Israel in the Mosaic Covenant. Seasons, the calendar, are very important with God because he put them in order. And this planet completes one year and starts another year. We're passing from 2018 to the year of our Lord, 2019. And we're the church. And we're taking inventory. And we're seeking the Lord. And we're hopefully making time for the Lord to hear from the Lord. Because we don't want to make the mistake that what is going to be in the new year is what was in this year. A few months back, when I was in Colorado with other elite coaches, I said, passing casually, I said, oh, I, I resign every year. They're like, what? Oh, yeah, yeah. I resign every year on December. In December, I resign my job as a pastor. I resign, um, you know, coaching. I resign every year. I resign at the end of the year. Like, that's craziness. No, no, really, I do. I go before the Lord and I resign. I'm on a one-year deal every year with the Lord. You know, sports contracts, they like those, like Albert Pujols, 10-year fat contract, top heavy right at the beginning, and then you're like, no, no, I do one year. And that's presuming a lot, presuming I'm going to, it's a lot for me to presume, or any of us to presume, we'll be here December 31st, 2019. That's a really big presumption. But I figure I'll reverse engineer that and say, and so like, Lord, what, what do you want to do? Here at Worship Generation, we don't base 2019 off 2018 where we can project certain things economically and stuff like that, but you're like, we, 
we want fresh wind, fresh fire. You know, we want a fresh vision. You know, we're not trying to reinvent ourselves or rebrand ourselves, but we, we see an expanding kingdom. Last month in this office, while meeting with Brian Jameson and Jeremy Foster, we yet again affirmed our confidence and belief that God can do much greater things in 2019 than any of us have ever seen any time prior to this year. And can I get an amen on that? Amen. I mean, we believe, not by what we see, faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence not yet seen. And Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and forever. So any great thing God's done in the past in the church age, he can equal or surpass around the corner. And we want to have a heart of expectation. We want to have a heart of faith for expectation of greater things in 2019 than in 2018. Not so much greater like more people or more this or more that. No, but just more of the spirit, more of the kingdom, more of the fruit of eternity, more effective ministry, life-changing ministry. We want to see a new year through the eyes of faith of an expanding kingdom. Recently, while going through Chronicles, I read the prayer of Jabez, and it reminded me yet again that that prayer of faith to see expansion. But it'd be so foolish to think of expansion just for the temporal that you leave behind. We want expansion for the eternal. In my coaching training last year, I read a very interesting book about one of the most successful sports um, franchises in the world, an international one, not an American one. And it's the must-read for all coaches. So, of course, I had to read it. It was recommended reading. And with all respect to this book, because it was all about culture and the tribe and the language of the tribe and all this stuff, you know. Because I see things, and we see things through an eternal perspective, and I'm coming back to Jesus being the cornerstone. This is all going to connect, so stay with me. But because I see things, we look not at the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen, the eternal. That as I read this book, and it was all about you build this culture, and you do this, and, and the leaders pass it on to the next generation, and it's all the stuff that you get, you know, and it's like, and it's this, and you have the language of the culture, and all these things, and you, you, you receive from the ancestors, and you pass on to the generation behind you the code of the culture and the ethics of, of your organization, and they, they accept that, and they embrace it, and then you give, them a better, you give them a better earth experience than you received, and thus you improve the earth experience. And I thought, man, this is literally like black and white TV. This is so limited in the vision. Because the last chapter of the book is all like, leave it better than you found it so you'll have a good legacy as an ancestor and people can learn from your lesson. I'm like, no, no, that's not where it ends for the kingdom of God. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. And I don't do things for the temporal. I do things for the eternal. I got another chapter this book is missing. And it's Revelation 22. I don't do what I do. We don't do what we do at Starbucks or coaching or where we work or, or whatever we do. We don't do it so we can leave a, 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 a memory of an ancestor of a really good life and inspire people to live a better life. No, we do it because Jesus Christ is risen from the grave. And he's at the right hand of the Father. 
And he's coming in glory. And I'm not trying to win people to be more successful and think better about their lives. I'm trying to win people to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ so they can be elevated from the ground with the second resurre- the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That they can know the glory. That they can be in glory. I'm not trying to be great for the temporal so people can say he was great in the temporal. I'm trying to be great for the king so I can elevate people to be with the king for all eternity. He's the chief cornerstone. And there's a planet tripping over him. And I believe, and came out of a meeting here six weeks ago with godly men who believe, and we believe that God can do more in 2019 than anything we can study in church history or have seen in our timeline. And that's the kind of neighbor your neighbors need from you. They need you to wake up believing that the King is coming and you live like it. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brand. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And also follow Pastor Joey on Instagram under the tag name at Joey Brand. Thanks for listening and God bless. Not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the one I love. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed.